the Cyber Security Podcast. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to a new episode of Hackwork. And it's my pleasure to do this again with my fantastic co-host from Washington, D.C., Tyler Cohen-Hood. Hi, Tyler. Hi, I am so excited for this show. This show is going to be so amazing. Yes, it will be. And just to give you a little bit of flavor, what is the topic of our today's show? Uh, I prepared something. More rum, more rum, the pirates. More rum, more rum, more rum, more the pirates. More rum, more rum, more rum, more the pirates. More rum, more rum, more rum, more the pirates. And by that, welcome to Polo from Utrecht, 30 kilometers away from Amsterdam. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Hello. Glad to be here. And the title of our show is Pirates Walk the Cyberplank. Are you ready? <laughs> um, let me introduce Paul. Paul is a CISO veteran. Um, I mean, Paul has more than 20 years experience being a CISO for national, international organizations. And he's fighting cyber pirates. Indeed, like we all, at least in this profession, are doing nowadays. How, how, much, how much piracy is there in the world? Wow, that's a good question, Tyler. Um, for, as always, it starts with the definition. And I think that there are today two kinds of piracy we recognize. The first one, well, is the traditional piracy, the sea piracy. For example, what's happening on the coast of Somalia, still happening on the coast of Somalia and some sparse other areas. But I think that uh, what hackers today are doing and the sponsors, let's put it politely, are doing um, is also a form of piracy in cyberspace. Yeah, and this makes me really curious. So let's say it in a way you have a theory, Paul, and your theory is that if we think about the golden age of pirates, the pirates of the Caribbean, which has been on the... How, what years, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, something like that, uh, that the way how these criminals were operating uh, is rather similar to what we see in cybercrime today. Yes, I think so. Um, and as always, we should try to learn from the past. So that's why I started looking at what was happening in, well, let's say the years 1500, 1600 with the pirates, because in those days, it was already a very funny landscape uh, in the world. Um, people were actually, well, let's put it frankly, robbing other countries, robbing uh, other nations, uh, both at sea and in, well, far in those days, far away countries. And they got away with it for hundreds of years. And basically, they got away with it because they were backed by governance and they were backed by very, very large organizations. And it's, well, they're more or less what's happening today uh, when you look at hackers, because the reason, one of the reasons, and one of the most important reasons, I think, that they are still 
around so much, getting back to Tata's question, how much? Well, in cyberspace, very much is the fact that it is very, very, very hard to prosecute, identify, um, well, uh, make sure that you that you recognize those pirates and, well, subsequently do something about it um, in areas where they are protected so well. And that's basically what happened to the pirates in the old days as well. So cyberspace and the old sea ways, uh, well, there are quite some similarities. And I was wondering why did it stop more or less, or at least get got controlled more or less? Um, when we're talking about piracy now, it's, well, well, like we said, Somalia, that's the first example we can come up with. But after that, the long silence. So basically, that kind of piracy has gone. But piracy in, well, let's call it metaphors from now on, <laughs> on the cyber, in cyberspace. Well, it's, it's booming. It's everywhere. Yeah. And I think everyone, every citizen in any nation is, without calling it piracy, is dealing with piracy one way or another. Would you consider, um, you know, today uh, ransomware um, a form of piracy? I mean, I would, but. Definitely. I think it's a high-tech form of piracy. Uh, ransom was basically one of the modus operandis of pirates in the past as well. Uh, they, uh, well, they took people hostage to get a ransom. They got a, get a, a lot of loot um, and you could even get it back by paying for it. Uh, instead of sending very expensive ships to get it back. So, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, both um, uh, well, actions, the word ransom, yeah, it, I think it's uh, it's a modus operandi which we are still seeing today. And I'm still very curious why it stopped at that time and how we can stop it now. Mm -hmm. And it's really, a, it's a super fascinating topic, I think, Paul. So if we go back three or four hundred years in the golden age of pirates i mean they had been as well venture operations isn't it like first of all these pirates had been a lot of them had been were rather skilled on military former experience um, then they had backups like it costs money to equip a pirate operation and they had revenues and revenue sharing and They need to launder their money, maybe. <laughs> so what are the main things which are similar, or do you see which are similar towards the today's situation if you look back in this historical view of piracy? When you look at it from, uh, well, let's call it a business case perspective, um, I think the comparison is still very valid uh, because And now I have to admit something as being Dutch. Uh, I'm apologizing more or less every day. That's not true. But um, for the fact that my ancestors basically robbed the world uh, and I'm living in a, one of the most wealthy uh, and prosperous countries in the world, thanks to the fact that they robbed the world initially uh, four, 500 years ago. So don't sue me. <laughs> um, but uh, that's, that's basically what happened. And that's... At that time, these people were considered even heroes. They contributed to innovation, to opening up seaways. So it was a, at that in that period already a very dynamic landscape where loyalty shifted, where 
whether you were legit or you were not legit shifted very much because you were most of the time actively or passively backed by very large companies. Um, well, for the historians uh, in the audience, uh, the East Indian Company, uh, the VOC, was one of, was the first multinational company in the world. And they backed quite a lot of, well, let's call them expeditions to uh, to all kinds of parts, in, uh, to all parts in the world to, well, basically enrich themselves, uh, but also their nation. So, um, and, and they were even at that time very hard um, to disturb because there was such a good business case and they used a lot of their loot and, and ransom. They used it to increase even more power, not only for themselves, but also for the companies they were working in and for the countries they were residing in. So, because the Dutch were not alone in this, uh, the English, the, the French, the Spaniards, uh, we all had our share in it. Um, but they were really backed. And there is a similarity there because we are now often in cyberspace, right or wrong, but we are considering the actions of, now let's name them, uh, like uh, people from uh, Russia, China, whatever, North Korea. We consider them, well, pirates, um, uh, the actions they are taking. But I think when you visit those countries, you must realize that in their society, they are very popular. In their society, they are seen as tradesmen, as real clever people. And that is a concept in Europe we find very hard to understand. But frankly <laughs> speaking, four or 500 years ago, we had the same attitude as those people now have today. So it's not, well, correct, politically correct to say, well, these are evil people. From yeah. their perspective, they're simply looking for a prosperous life and uh, a prosperous nation. And um, it's a business case, or maybe? definitely, yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, it's easy money uh, to, uh, without too much risk. So yeah. it's basically the perfect kind of like case. like ransomware. I mean, you know, it's 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 a high payoff, especially if you go after hospitals, and that's why it keeps happening. You don't yeah, even ever have to see see the person. Yeah, and Did, that's that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tyler. Oh, oh no, I just, I'm just I'm, I'm fascinated by the by by the pirates. Did <clears throat> did certain pirate groups work together? Like you know how there's some hacking groups that kind of will work with other hacking groups. Good point. I think. Did they support uh, each other or steal from each other? Both, and that's also similar to today. I think. Uh, uh, loyalty shifted very quickly. So um, it was, well, not an even more dynamic landscape today because the landscape today is, well, super dynamic, obviously. Uh, loyalties change basically by the minute, I think. Um, but in those days, uh, it was loyalties changed by days. Uh, even when you look at the films that were made of that period, you will notice that, well, um, loyalty got you somewhere. But in the end, if someone offered you a better business case and he was previously your enemy, well, if he has a bit better business case, why should he be your enemy? Make him your ally. Our, um, if I look at the nation states on that time, I mean, there had been some superpower nation states fighting for global trade wars. Um, like, I mean, 
The Dutch had been a superpower, the British, the Spain, the French. So how did the nation states were using pirates to get their plans on increasing their power? So had been the pirates part of a nation military strategy? I think the gap between, and again, that's a similarity, similarity with today. I think the gap between the official army, the official navy, and the pirate navy uh, was very, very, very small. I think even, uh, again, even in those situations, loyalties shifted. Um, a lot of well, Dutch admirals in those days were initially well at those days they were not called called pirates but they were from from today's perspective they were definitely pirates but they were hired by the by the government to make when the government was threatened or certain overseas areas were threatened they were hired simply for pragmatic reasons uh, as a navy so it was very difficult it's now difficult but even though in those days it was very difficult to make a long-term strategy because um, loyalties would shift, business cases would change, uh, protection uh, operations, it would all change. And yeah, of, obviously things are moving much faster nowadays and, and are much more dynamic. But I think the basic concept of all those shifting loyalties, shifting business cases is very similar to what's happening today. Is it what we call today uh, asymmetric warfare? Yeah, yeah, That's that would be a good definition, I think. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because if if you think about it, um, uh, and you probably know the story of Julius Caesar being captured by pirates better than I do, but that really changed the course of history because he, he well, you you probably can tell the story better than I can. <laughs> But Julius Caesar was captured by pirates and um, he said, you know, do you know who I am? And they said, you know, we don't care, whatever. He said, "Okay, well, I'm warning you, I will come back and destroy you. And, you know, they the ransom was paid for him. And sure enough, he did. (laughs) It was the young Caesar. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Piracy goes back even that far. Definitely. I think, well, again, depending on definition, but I think piracy, uh, the way we look at it nowadays has been there since mankind started walking <laughs> so and doing business let's, uh, and exploring the world. So, yeah, it, it's there. And that's one of the things later on, um, the, the, the piracy was not limited to the Caribbean or the, or the, or the, or the, or the East. Uh, it was a issue in the far east as well because the japanese the chinese they all had their pirate fleets as well and at a certain point in time and that i find very interesting they even made laws around it uh, because they thought we can't win like like you said uh, tyler uh, caesar made up to his promise but uh, in some cases, it simply wasn't feasible because governments were too weak or at least didn't have the same power or were much more scrupulous than, than pirates because that's also a way to win a war. But um, it was it was very difficult. And at some point in time, they even realized we can't win this war. So they made 
laws where on, on the one hand they seized countries and, and uh, possessions of people who were supporting pirates, but on the other hand, they made it legit to trade and make deals with pirates uh, if they went for what at least at those time days was, were, was perceived as the right case. So they didn't forbid collaborating with pirates. And again, that's interesting because in the Netherlands, for example, we are now in fierce debate about the law which will forbid paying ransom uh, when ransomware is there. And that's totally the opposite opposite of what the, 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 the Japanese and Chinese achieved in that period in time. They said, well, let's make it not legal, but let's make it at least transparent uh, so we get more visibility on what go, what's going on. And I'm, I'm still very much myself also in debate whether it would be a good thing um, to forbid paying ransom in case of ransomware or, well, more or less go with the flow is too weak, but more or less deal with it uh, more transparently. And then you can, it will take you more time to tackle the issue, but then you can at least see what's going on and, and where things are moving to. And then you can build your defenses more uh, and it will cost you obviously money. And people will get away with it, which is not good for our feeling. Uh, it, it doesn't feel right. But on the other hand, if you make it more transparent, well, you might in the long run, but you have more success in controlling it. Yeah. I, on one hand, on one hand, I agree. You shouldn't pay the ransom. But if you have a blanket statement that you can't pay the ransom, then what is that? What happens to hospitals? What happens to... Um, so these these critical functions that that we need, and I don't know what the answer is. I wish that that I did, but I yeah, I don't. Yeah. I completely disagree on the idea that you can forbid ransom because yeah. it's the basic idea of ransom to put so much power and pressure on the victims that they have to pay. So, and what we see, like, I mean, ransom is also nothing new. It was like even Caesar had been. Yeah. I mean, freed by paying ransom. And like we, we have seen that with the hostages uh, in South America and stuff like that. I mean, even it, it's forbidden to pay ransom in some countries, uh, but there was a high, of course, the companies who have been involved because the employees have been hostaged. Uh, of course, they were paying because it's like you're talking about lives and, and then it's the money is just a matter of how you organize your insurance issue and that's i think no i i don't like the idea i know that it's it seems like an easy solution but to me it's more complex and as paul said if you to, it, it's more complex if you force them to be illegal they will just not report it it's yeah you, that's, everybody that's will go true. yeah everybody will go underground and yep. that will make the problem for all of us, CISOs, organizational managers, politicians, it will make the problem even more difficult for us to tackle. Um, I think it will be much more effective to know what's going on and build your defenses as an organization on the knowledge um, and the collaboration between each other, because that's also an interesting point. In those days, when people were threatened, they started collaborating even with their enemies. Um, uh, Interesting. And basically, you found you 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 put all your efforts into together into 
dealing with one enemy who got too strong and too powerful. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that's more or less happening now in cyber as well, because uh, we see fortunately a lot of collaboration, which is driven by the increased, increased threat and losses and risks to our society and organizations. So um, it will drive, fortunately enough, that's positive. It will drive collaboration as well. But as long as you make sure that you're looking at at least 90% of the threat service. And uh, I agree with Mirko. If, if we would legally forbid to disclose anything uh, around dealing with ransomware, um, we would never learn from it. Uh, no. it. It's too bad for the one victim. And well, let's help and support him or her and uh, use insurance or whatever. But um, it, it, it doesn't help anyone else. So yeah. it would be very good if we started sharing. And a good example is the University of Maastricht. Um, I can say it in public because it's, it's a public case. It was really hit very hard, I think almost two years ago now, by ransomware. They have had they they dealt with it. Um, they paid for it. Uh, by the way, a very reasonable figure because again, uh, the similarities with the pirates. They never over asked because they knew exactly what people were prepared and yeah. able to pay. Yeah. And um, that's basically the same thing here. So University of Maastricht paid yeah. a, a, a fee, um, but they disclosed everything in public about how they got well uh, infected how ransomware could do what it could uh, what it what it did the investigating parties they hired uh, who were very good they made detailed reports and the university of maastricht even said great that you're doing this but know that we're going to disclose everything you have uh, uh, assessed in your uh, investigation and that helped tremendously um, other organizations to well to use these lessons learned and to avoid yes. the rest of the organ uh, other university but also business organizations to get in um, hit in the same way so I, I again agree yeah again never 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 go underground uh, mm -hmm. don't push people underground because that that will only uh, like you said Mirko, that's that's uh, not the the answer to this problem well, and it makes it makes or it makes hospitals and critical infrastructure sitting ducks. And I don't really think that the the debate should be to pay the ransom or not to pay the ransom. I think the debate should be how do we fix this problem? And I really believe the only solution is building a second internet with that has security in 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 from the beginning because the internet was not developed with security in mind. I mean. True. It just wasn't. But yeah, there can be a different opinion here, Tyler. I think it's yeah. not, the solution <laughs> is to me the solution is not technical. To me, the solution is a political solution. So if I look at a historic pirates, I mean they only were able to run their operations because they had a safe harbor. Like if you're a pirate of the Caribbean, then you have ransomed okay. the ship, you have looted the ship, then you can uh, just sail to Tortuga. Uh, everybody is happy in the harbor when you arrive with your loot. Uh, you can share the, you can the do meme. the revenue shares, you can drink, blah, blah, blah. You have a perfect life. So I think this only works because there's the, there are the Tortugas out there where they can. So if you, 
manage it to reduce the safe harbors, I think then you're getting rid of the problem. And I think we're... That's an easier solution than rebuilding a new internet. (laughs) (laughs) At least I think. I don't know. It may not be. (laughs) I don't know. It seems to be complicated. (laughs) Well, there's somebody working on a new internet, but that's not a dish. I think that's good for another podcast. But uh, no, I I, I agree. And we should take... And that was one of the... I mentioned earlier the Chinese-Japanese treaties. That was one of their approaches as well. Okay, they, they made sure that they were dealing... As good as best to, as best as possible with 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 the challenges, but again, if they saw the opportunity and uh, there was a good business case for it, they simply seized ground of people who who were protecting um, these pirate slash hackers, and that that would be a good answer. It would at least reduce the problem, uh, and we know there are a lot of great Ferraris and other cars driving around in Moscow. Uh, yeah. um, and there's a reason for that. Um, and uh, yeah, if you could stop that, it, it would be very helpful. And I've seen hopeful moves. Um, unfortunately, as usual in cyber, in, in security, um, something has to go very, very wrong before a politician step in. Um and uh, well, we all know the colonial pipeline yeah. I- issue and so on. And uh, well, that was basically crossing the red line. Uh, mm-hmm. That was not very clever of those guys because they were crossing a red line. Uh, they, they hit a vital industry, and not even hospitals or whatever, but they hit a vital industry mm-hmm. which really impacted everyday life of American people. And that's that's when that's when politicians. Uh, get awake because they say, well, this is the end. This has to stop now. And, uh, well, Joe Biden made it very clear to his friend on the other side of the ocean that um, this was crossing the red line and uh, this had to stop. Funny enough, again, uh, but uh, they focus now the the discussion, the red line discussion on the vital industries. So uh, the vital organizations. And I do find that well, not very fair. I can understand that you have, yep. because yeah. First of all, what's the different definition of vital nowadays? Cyber is everywhere. The metaverse is everywhere. We can't do anything without it. We couldn't have this talk without cyber. So what's what's critical? Uh, and on the other hand, I think um, if if you hit a country hard enough economically, even in the not vital industries, nobody will. Uh, rest uh, uh, when that happens everybody will call upon those politicians again too well and that's the real threat nowadays to send a few uh, aircraft carriers that way and make sure that the digital sovereignty and the physical sovereignty are regained Tyler from the US perspective I mean ransomware has been there since a decade and there was always pain in there but when we have seen this television, uh, just films about people standing in front of the gas stations, like was this the shake of the U.S. politicians to say, well, uh, oil, I mean, this is the core DNA of the American way of life. Don't attack our oil. 
there were gas lines and there were people, you know, were using gas buddy or whatever to try to figure out, you know, where the cheapest gas was because, you know, people were in line for, for seven, $8 gas. And it was, it was, it was kind of crazy. I mean, we don't drive too many places. So, you know, we, we were okay. Cause the, you know, the situation was resolved relatively shortly, but you know, it really, it, it was difficult and, and it's kind of scary to, it not kind of, it's scary yeah. and because these are the things that we rely on. And, you know, we are, we are so reliant on our connected devices. We're so reliant on, on, on all of these different things that it really does. It, 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 it just causes chaos. Yeah. What was remarkable to me, like about this red line was that we had, heard then the statement that this is an act of terrorism. So this was the first time that I really heard from an official governmental official, oh, this is an act of terrorism. And by classifying it as an act of terrorism, you have a completely different set of operations and tools. You can start on the actors who are performing the cyber attack. I think if you say, well, they are cyber criminals, it's clear for the US, it's the FBI or in It's Europol in Europe. But if you say, well, this is act of terrorism, you have all the tools like from CIA and whatever to go for counter operations. Yes, you, you, you do have a lot more leverage and you'll, you have a lot more power behind you in, in what you can do. Yeah. I, I just, I have to ask you this, Paul. I have to, and I know this is a dumb question, but... Was it re were it, it, back in the the days of of the pirates? Was was it like we see on on TV? Like, did they actually have a code of ethics like parlay, like we saw in Pirates of the Caribbean, or, um, you know, did they have the parrots? That was it really like that, or is that just Hollywood? Well, first of all, a disclaimer: I'm not an historian, eh? so so everything I say comes from the same movies and the same <laughs> not the same books, but a lot of other books. So that's the disclaimer for now. But well, obviously Hollywood exaggerates these things; uh, otherwise, we wouldn't go there because it would be boring. Yes. But uh, and yes, they will be. They will. They will have been very colorful people. Um, But I think, and that's again something very natural for for the human race. I think um, alliances were made uh, dynamically. Um, they were making friends temporarily. They had temporary partnerships and so on. So uh, I think the dynamics, which is described in the films, is definitely there. But there was also, well, I think there was a code of ethics. Uh, but I think it would not live up to our expectation, uh, expectations today. And yeah. the code of ethics yeah. was also very much, was also very pragmatic because um, it was basically meant to make sure that you didn't cross um, the red line and that it, you didn't, well, get so cross with people or nations or navies that you became too interesting to be suppressed violently uh, i think that was also their pragmatic approach toward um, uh, uh, well make make making deals and and uh, yeah. with even their enemies maybe i can add towards tyler there was a 
a, a famous German pirate. It was in the Middle Age. It was called Klaus Stördebecker for the people who are interested in there. And um, like they had a fleet of ships. It was it was like a brotherhood of people who are getting together. And yes, they had a social conduct on how they are working together. And for that time, it was remarkable. Like, let's say it's, it was a completely different way how the society was organized. Uh, to, from today's perspective, we would maybe call them a communist um, guerrilla or whatever, uh, with less maybe political aims than how, yes, for the personal wealth. But it was a rather clear conduct on in between how they share their revenues. It was rather clear who is getting what, um, even like a basic set of rules, what is allowed, not allowed, and stuff like that. So uh, I think there are, there had been rules for their social way of life and how to organize the business, let's say it in that way. Interesting. Yeah. W would you say that that um, translates somewhat, maybe loosely, to a hacker code of ethics? Well, it's a good question because it's, I don't see for the ransomware that these are hackers. The ransomware to me, it's right. organized crime. But we know for organized crime as well that there are a code of ethics in there. Like if you, if you look at the mafia, I mean, there's a structure in there mm -hmm. and there are codes in there, rules, what is allowed, not allowed. Um, and for the hackers, somehow, I don't know how they are getting, how they did their relations towards that organized crime community. I mean, Normally in the hacker community, you have as well your codes and there is as well a, a ethic in there and people who are, let's say, more on the gray side, black side or white side. Um, it's not so super clear sometimes the role of the people, but a lot of them are quite aware of, for example, keep away from cyber criminals and keep away from intelligence, like because they see cyber criminals and intelligence business rather maybe playing sometimes the same same game. Um, so they are rather careful, but it means it doesn't mean that they don't work for them. It means that they may be super careful in how they expose themselves to these organizations. But if they are revenues. Yeah, I think they, they, they too, like in the old days, they have a pragmatic way of dealing with it. Um, right re-evaluating every day what's at stake, how far they can go, whom they need to collaborate with, who to avoid. And um, yeah, I don't think you will get in the today's hacker community anything in writing. Yeah. But uh, yes, I do think that, that they have more, they, they hold on to more or less the same principles, dynamic and pragmatic. Uh, but there are certain things you don't do. Uh, they have even the worst ones they have their standards if not by their own choice it's by the choice of their protectors by their sponsors yeah i mean we know from ransomware gangs maybe that they are scanning if they have found an, an vulnerability open ports whatever on certain networks by automatic scans we know from some ransomware code that they're really looking, for example, uh, what kind of language uh, settings are set up on the servers. And if there are some certain language settings, they are not performing that. If you come from a certain country, you don't attack any site which, Cyrillic, which has Cyrillic uh, writing in it. Yeah. 
because then you will get hit. Then you will, well, basically... You're losing your safe your harbor, spoilers. maybe, isn't yeah. it? You're, yeah. you're using your, losing your safe harbor. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm sure that there's also, at, at some point, um, because you have to think also that if you're, and I know I keep going back to hospitals, but you know, that to me is one of the scariest things. And if you're, if you're attacking a hospital and you're not just exfiltrating data or locking data out with ransomware, but you're actually manipulating data, that's really scary. And that wouldn't be that hard to do. And at some point there's, there's going to have, um, a hospital or something is going to get hit with ransomware and people are going to die from it. And I wonder if that's the point where other groups or, or other nation states will, you know, come together and say, you know, we, we, we can't have this. I don't know, but i I do suspect that at some point it will get to that. And, and that's scary. I agree. I, it scares me as well. On the other hand, I think, in general, well, the dark side will stay, stay stay clear from that area because then they will know they will be hit very hard. But yes. on the other hand, you're talking about targeted attacks. Um, and in that case, well, targeted attacks won't really, I think, uh, address those targets. Right. But, well, frankly speaking, there's a lot of untargeted attacks on cyber. And that's what really scares me because both from an offensive as well as a defensive point, because um, when you, well, nuke the internet, let's <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically untarget attacks with high potential, um, yeah, that's what really scares me, because that's when you really don't know uh, who you're hitting, um, who, who's in jeopardy. Uh, and even uh, you might you might cause so much damage that it will be very hard to define where it's coming from, and then the wrong the wrong people will be uh, well. You will re- might retaliate to the wrong people, and that will well. Then we get in more or less a cold war scenario uh, where nobody survives anymore. So yeah. the, the real threat, I think, is in untargeted attacks. Fools, uh, a fool with a tool is still a fool. So uh, anyone uh, uh, which such power in his hand, in her or his hands, uh, that's I think the real risk where where there's no intelligence behind an attack. Intelligent attackers will stay stay clear of um, well, let's let let's for this discussion name them sensitive uh, uh, victims. But isn't it like for the if we look at the ransomware business and how it's organized? that the problem is maybe as well with the ransomware for rent infrastructure providers. I mean, they're providing the tools, they're getting their revenue shares, and then you have the cyber criminals uh, on top and they don't care about if it's a hospital, yes or not. So that they are losing as well the control over the infrastructure they are providing. That's interesting because, again, I will play with the person who has to apologize, uh, not for what's happened 500 (laughs) years ago, but what's happening now. In the Netherlands, we have one of the best internet infrastructures in the world. We're a real gateway, not only for ships, but we're also a gateway for internet traffic. 
So a lot of people, also with the wrong intentions, uh, are hosting their data, their data colonies, their data havens are residing in the Netherlands for that reason, because they will know they will have excellent uh, connections all over the world. So, and it's very hard, first of all, um, if even if you're willing to deal with those, well, in our terms, let's put them not havens, but data centers in your country where you, as a government, hardly know what's going on. So it's definitely for some people where we don't want it to be a safe haven for, it's a more or less safe haven. It's not a real safe haven like in certain countries because there is a lot of vigilance and the police is... That, that's the other the, the other side of it. The police here has become the cyber police. Let's let's put them that the cyber security uh, units have become very proficient and collaborating again with a lot of national police, Interpol, and so on. So they are addressing that problem, but there are quite some havens, data havens, yeah. uh, residing in our countries. I've heard of this, and and, and it's actually pretty smart because. If if you want to if if you want to have your information safe and secure and perhaps you're in a place where it's targeted and the it's not as secure you know that's really a very good way to do it is is to host it in another country like that. It's logical, it's isn't smart. it? Like yeah, this is like, logical. I mean, this is like you have to treasure chest and you have to dig it on multiple islands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Treasure chest, booty, yeah, pirate booty. <laughs> I, I have got to ask you this. I've got to ask you this, Paul. Again, sorry, another kind of weird question here. But were there any any female pirates? It's again a more a great comparison with cyberspace. Not as many as there should be. <laughs> to, but there to, were to, some. But there were definitely some. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. We had some. What we now case what we would call strong women in the Netherlands. Yeah. Yeah. They were there, but like in cyber, not as many as you would uh, presume that there should be. Yeah. So if you look from the historic perspective, when this golden age of pirates was ending, so what have been the factors that this has come to an end and what can we learn for today's situation from it? I think that what played the most important role was that at a certain point of time, the nations and the companies, more or less in tandem, um, were able to regain control, um, but by collaborating, because uh, it, it, it more or less stopped, at least the, the piracy we talked about, when nations amongst each other uh, define treaties um, where they declared officially that they weren't enemies anymore, that they would share wealth and power instead of taking it from each other. And that took away the business case for the pirates because um, at the same time, the nations knew they had to enforce those treaties and they built professional navies who... Um, well, again, also worked together and made sure that the pirates uh, were not active anymore. So it, it, it took, well, again, it took hundreds of years before, before we reached that stage. But it started with nations 
talking together, agreeing on the fact that some things couldn't be done anymore. And yeah, I think that's more or less the period. And I hope it goes much faster nowadays, but I think that should happen now in cyber as well. Wow. That's <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm fascinated. I, I'm, I, I, I want to keep asking you question after question, but I know we, we have a time limit, <laughs> but I, I would, I could talk to you forever about this. R. Arg. <laughs> yes. Walk the plank, well, Mirko. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to walk the plank, but to me it was um, an awesome talk. And I would like to recap a little bit what we were talking about. Like to say, well, of course there was this, There was an economic situation. There was a clash of nations. Uh, and there was business in behind why the historic pirates have been so successful and this was the golden age. And that there are many similarities. Paul, uh, you have shown us to the today's cyber criminals, especially to ransomware. And hopefully, I hope that it, we don't need a hundred of years that the nation states find a way how to collaborate and to stop this, I call it asymmetric warfare, what we see. Yes. So I think it's, of course, law enforcement can do a lot, but at the end, it's a political game as well. And then the cyber criminals will have no more business. And by that, thank you very much for this exciting conversations. If you want to know more about Paul, have a look at the show notes. If you like this podcast, give us a rate, give us a comment. And by that, I say thank you very much for showing up. Thank you. And arg. <laughs> Follow us at hackwork.io. 